Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. And I'll read beginning at verse 16 down through verse 23. John chapter 14 and verse 16. Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. But you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who, lo- he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. We've been looking at the heart of Jesus for us as his disciples, even now that he is exalted into heaven at the right hand of God the Father. We've seen in various passages that the love of Christ for us, his disciples, remains the same now as it ever was, that his affection for us is as strong As deep as ever, it has not been diminished in the least. As John said in chapter 13 and verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved us, he will love us to the uttermost and even to the end, to eternity. This morning we saw the promise beginning here in verse 16, where Jesus speaks of his return to the Father in heaven He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And then, in the following verses, what Jesus does is he begins to unfold the meaning of this promise and the coming of the Holy Spirit and his work among us. That's what we'll be looking at tonight, the love of Christ as it continues for us in heaven, with the Holy Spirit being sent from him and from the Father. The first thing we see in the passage is what we'll call Jesus' blessing upon us. There in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, he will give to you another helper, another one who is just like me, who has divine power and grace, and he will come and carry on my work and my ministry on earth. Jesus will ascend and be physically present at the right hand of God, but he will continue to be present with us on earth by the Holy Spirit. And he notes a great contrast between the world and believers in the rest of verse 17. He says, That is the the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. The world does not know who the Holy Spirit is. The world, they are strangers to the grace and truth of the Holy Spirit. They do not know him nor the Son who has sent him. But in regard to the believer, at the end of verse 17, Jesus says, but you shall know him. You shall know him by your own experience because he abides with you. The promise of verse 16, the parakletos, he is the one who will come alongside you 
and he will abide with you as your helper, your advocate, your strengthener, and your comforter. But now we see at the end of verse 17 that he brings his promise to a deeper and more intimate level when he says of the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 17 that he will be in you. The promised helper, the comforter, shall not only come alongside of you to aid you, but he will come to make his residence within you. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which every believer receives the indwelling Holy Spirit as soon as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see the depths and the power of Christ's love that he sends the helper, not just to abide with us and to come alongside of us, but to be within us internally. This is what he means here and what this means for us is that the help that he gives to us is not just an external or superficial help on the outside but the Holy Spirit the helper with his divine power he will come to us and give us inward help within our souls which is where we really need the help to live the Christian life in the innermost being, as Jesus said in John chapter 7. The Spirit will come and he will be in you. This will be the place of his residence. This is be, will be the place where he gives you help and strength. The supernatural power of the helper will come and he will be within you. This is where the battle of the Christian life takes place. This is where the spiritual struggle within our souls occurs in our minds and in our hearts. That we might continue to believe. That we might have illumination into the word of God. That we might walk in holiness and have sanctification and the renewing and the transforming of our minds. We read very often in the Bible things like this. For example, Paul said to the Ephesians that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to the Romans, he said that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To the Colossians, that you be renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So there is this renewing, this transforming that must take place in our souls if we are to live the Christian life as we should. Everything that we are really comes from what takes place within us. So we need the helper to come and produce this power within us to live as we should. And that's what Jesus is promising us here. That when the helper comes... Where will he come to do his great work and give us the aid and the strength that we need? He will come to abide with us, but not just abide with us, but he will come and be in us. And that's where we really need his grace and his continual help. We see in verse, four, in verse 18, he continues, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In my absence, I will not leave you by yourselves exposed to so many troubles and tribulations. You will be in need of much comfort. And Jesus promises us here that he will not leave us by ourselves. He will come to us by the Holy Spirit as promised in verse 16. So this is the third time now in verse 18, the third time in as many verses that Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit to us. Back in verse 16, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Then at the end of verse 18, he says, you will know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And now for the third time at the end of verse 18, he says, I will come to you. Three times in as many verses. 
And over and over again, Jesus repeats this promise of the Holy Spirit to be given to us. And we learn from this that there is such weakness in our faith and so many things that hinder us from receiving the promises of Christ as we should, that they must be repeated to us time and again for us to grasp them. They must be spoken to us over and over if we are to receive the comfort from them that we should. And Jesus has such patience and he is willing to speak them to, the, to us according to our need. The second thing we see in the passage is Jesus' life in us. In verse 19, in the beginning of verse 19, he says, After a little while, the world will behold me no more. Which speaks of his ascension. After his ascension back to the Father in heaven, the world will not see him anymore. But then he says, but you will behold me, referring to his coming by the Holy Spirit as he has been promising, and by the Spirit dwelling in us, we will be able to see him, not in the flesh, but we will be able to see him by faith. But you will behold me. And then he says at the end of verse 19, because I live, you shall live, you shall also live. His ascension into heaven, his life at the right hand of God the Father. Because of his life in glory, we shall also live spiritually by the Holy Spirit that he has promised to send. His life in heaven guarantees our continual life spiritually on earth. Our spiritual life is dependent upon his glorified life at the right hand of God. We live because he lives there. He continually sends the Holy Spirit down to us. He is the head and we are the body. And all life flows from the head down to the body. And if the head is raised in glory and lives, then the body will live as well. There is certainty here in this promise of Christ. Our life is as certain as his life in heaven. It is impossible for him to be dethroned from his life. And so it is impossible for us to lose our life in him because i live he says always eternally at the right hand of god therefore you shall live also always and be safe to eternal life this is the power of the holy spirit that he has given to us at the end of verse 19, we may read it this way, because I live eternally at the right hand of God, my Father, and because I continually ask the Father, and he sends the Holy Spirit, therefore you shall also live. There is no power or created thing that can ever conquer him now. And there is no power or created thing that could ever conquer us. Either. Jesus lives and so shall I. Death, thy sting, is gone forever, says the hymn writers. I shall also be with him ever living, ever reigning. God has promised, be it must, Jesus is my hope and trust. Because I live you shall live also. The third thing we see in the passage is Jesus' union with us. Verse 20, he says, In that day, in that day which looks forward to the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit will come, he says, In that day you shall know 
The Holy Spirit will come and teach you and give you understanding. And this is what he will give you understanding in. You shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. That phrase there, I am in the Father, speaks of the union of the Son with the Father in the one God. The Son is in the Father, the Father is in the Son, in the essence of the one God in the Trinity. This is something that Jesus has taught them before. And we can look back to John chapter 10 for a moment. John chapter 10. Jesus has already taught them of the union of the Father and the Son. Back in John chapter 10. And we'll look at verse 27 through 30. Jesus said in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. In verse 30, Jesus spoke of his being one in essence with the Father in the one God. They are two distinct persons, I and the Father. But the two distinct persons are in the one God. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one in divine power. We are one in divine majesty and glory and all the divine attributes. We are one of mind, one in will, in everything that we do. And Jesus says this in verse 30 because of what he said back in the previous verses. In, the, in verse 28, he said, I give eternal life to my sheep. They shall never perish. And then he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then immediately afterward, he said the same thing in regard to his father. At the end of verse 29, he said, no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So whatever can be said of the father can be said of the son as well. Because the father and the son are one in power, majesty, one in agreement and will and purpose in the one God. And Jesus confirms this in verse 30. He says, I and the father are one. One in everything. As the one God. I and the father are both divine persons within the one God. Now we notice in the middle of verse 29 that Jesus says of the Father that the Father is greater than all. And we have a similar statement in John chapter 14 and verse 28 where Jesus said the Father is greater than I. So how do we reconcile these statements? I and the Father are one and The Father is greater than all. The Father is greater than I. When Jesus said, here's what we say, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, he spoke in regard to his divine nature as the Son of God. The Father and the Son share equally in the power and glory of the one God. But when Jesus said, the Father is greater than all, and the Father is greater than I, he spoke in regard to his human nature, to his mediatorial role as the Savior, that he humbled himself and submitted to the will of the Father to be the Savior of the world. So in regard to his work as Savior, the Father is greater than him, but in regard to his eternal divine nature, the Father and he are one in the one God. Now when the Jews heard this, we see their response in verse 30. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, I showed you many works, many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, 
for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus does not deny this. He confirms it in the following verses, and we'll read verse 36 through 38. He says, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you know, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So there at the end of verse 28, 38, we have the same teaching of the union of the Father and the Son in the one God. In verse 30, I and the Father are one. At the end of verse 38, again, the same teaching, the Father is in me and I in the Father. So Jesus has been teaching this doctrine of their union in the one God. And we turn back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And what we see here now is that this same teaching came up just a few moments before in the upper room. We look at verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me? Jesus speaks out of a sense of surprise because he has already taught these things that he and the Father are one and the Father is in him and he is in the Father. Have I been with you so long and you still do not understand me, Philip? And Philip and the other disciples should have understood this, but they didn't. And Jesus repeats now in the rest of verse 10, he says, the words that I spoke to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me, the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe on account of the works themselves. We know how dull the disciples were and how slow they were to understand the things that Jesus taught them during his ministry. And this is what we find here in regard to his union with the Father. I am in the Father, down in verse 20. This is the same teaching now that he refers to, that he had taught them before on different occasions, but they still did not understand. But in verse 20, Jesus says that all of this will change when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, in that day, in that day when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you, and you shall know this because your eyes will be opened and you will understand and know that I am in the Father. They will come to understand on that day when the Spirit comes to teach of this union of the Father and the Son. We read down in verse 26. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This union of the Father and the Son in the one God, it is a mystery of the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit will come to believers and teach it to them. Not to the world, because they do not know the Spirit, but the Spirit will come, and only by the Holy Spirit will they come to understand these things. There are mysteries of the kingdom of God. Jesus would teach parables, and he would say to his disciples, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been granted. And it's the same kind of thing here. In that day, you shall know this great mystery of the kingdom that I am in the Father. 
So we learn an important lesson here. That Jesus teaches us his word at the proper time. There are many things like this where we might not understand and the truths of the kingdom of God seem vague to us. Our minds are cloudy. We cannot see as clearly as we should. And our faith and our understanding is weak. But then, at the time when it pleases the Lord Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit and like light out of heaven, the Spirit comes down. Our minds are opened to understand the truth as we have not before. This is the experience of all believers throughout the Christian life. We go from light to light and from knowledge to more knowledge of the Lord. There is progress that takes place to the end of life as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is promising his disciples here. In that day, your eyes will be opened by the Holy Spirit and you will know what you did not know before, that I am in the Father. And then he adds another mystery of the kingdom. At the end of verse 20, you will also know this, that you in me and I in you, which speaks of our union with Christ as soon as we believe in him. A mutual union in which we are in Christ and he is in us. We are in him, in union with him by faith, and he is in union with us by the Holy Spirit. You in me and I in you. The Spirit brings Christ to us. So that by the Holy Spirit, Christ himself comes to actually dwell within us. You in me, he says, and I dwelling in you. This is what we read in other passages of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Christ lives in me. Colossians 1 verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ living in us by the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus can say, I will always, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you always by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ because he comes from Christ and he brings Christ to us to live and dwell within us. The disciples had great sorrow on this night when they heard the news that Jesus was soon to depart from them. But Jesus is telling them here, I will not leave you only in my body. I will be with you, and by the Holy Spirit, whom I will send, I will come and be in you. I am leaving you physically, but I am coming to you in the Holy Spirit. I am leaving you one way, but I am coming to you in even a better way, by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. This was really to their advantage, as Jesus says later in John chapter 16. It is to your advantage that I go away so that the helper may come. And when the helper comes, then Christ will come and dwell within them, I and you, by the helper, the Holy Spirit. We may think at times that we would be better off if only we had the physical presence of Christ with us. As if nothing could be more desirable than to see Jesus with our physical eyes. But it is not true. Which is more desirable? To have Christ standing beside us 
or to have Christ dwelling in us. Better to have Christ in us than to have Christ standing physically beside us. These disciples had forgotten so much of what Jesus had already taught them throughout his ministry. And they could not even understand what they could remember. But we have all the words of Christ recorded for us in the Gospels. And we may turn to them at any time when our memories fail us. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to give us light and illumination and understanding in the scriptures. We have far more than what these disciples had this night. They had Christ in his physical presence. We have Christ in the Spirit's presence within us. They thought by his departure, they would have less fellowship with him. Jesus says, no, you will have a fuller and deeper fellowship with me when the Holy Spirit comes and I will be in you. In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, the divine Savior from heaven, with all the power of God, and you in me, and I in you. This is why Jesus must go on in chapter 15 and speak the parable of the vine and the branches, because he is the vine, we are the branches, and we abide in him, and he abides in us, that we would bear much fruit. A most amazing truth that is taught here at the end of verse 20, which ought to give much comfort to our souls. Because Jesus first speaks of his union with the Father. He says, I am in the Father. And then he speaks of his union with us. And you in me, and I in you. We are united to Christ. And Christ is united to the Father, and so we are united to the Father through Christ. We meet the Father in the person of Jesus Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is secure because we are united to Christ. Christ is united to the Father. All of this speaks of fellowship, our fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John said our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit who abides in us. All that Jesus speaks here is of our fellowship. This is intimacy and closeness. This is freedom of communication, access to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are able to come to them with confidence. We may hide nothing from them. We may cast all of our cares upon him. We are adopted into his family. Christ is our elder brother. God is our heavenly father. We may draw near to him. The spirit is given as the spirit of adoption by which we may cry, Abba, Father. All of this is the fellowship of a Christian with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What greater nearness could we have to Christ than to be indwelt by him, by the Holy Spirit? Then he continues in verse 21. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. We see in the beginning of the verse that Jesus speaks of the duty of believers who are those who love him, that we should keep his commandments, which is the proof of our love to him. Many profess love to him, but they have no proof of that love in their obedience to his commandments. 
And then when we do live in that way, in the second half of the verse, Jesus gives the promise that both the Father and the Son, they will both love us and Jesus will disclose, reveal himself to us. Then we read verse 22 and 23. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Similar, verse 23, similar to verse 21. The Father and the Son, they will love us. Both of them will come and make their love known to us when they take up their abode in us. The end of verse 23, the Father, we, the Father and the Son, we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. A permanent, eternal residence, the Father and the Son coming to dwell within us. And how do they do this? By the promise of verse 16, by the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come. A most astonishing truth is given to us here, that the first and the second persons of the Blessed Trinity come to dwell permanently in us by the presence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has been opening up this promise from verse 16 down through all the rest of these verses of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He will ask the Father in heaven and he will give to us another helper that he may be with us forever, even the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. That's what Jesus has been opening up for us throughout this passage. We close tonight with several applications. And the first is that we need Christ in us by the Spirit to live the Christian life. This is what the passage is all about. Jesus has gone into heaven in his physical presence. We are left here below in this world of sin. We have great needs. We are weak and In ourselves, we are destitute like those lonely orphans. And there is only one who can help us in all of our need, and that is Christ by the Holy Spirit from heaven to give us strength and help in this world. People say sometimes the Christian life is hard. One man said the Christian life is not hard. It is impossible. And that's what it really is. It is impossible to live a holy life in a world of sin like this. It is impossible for us to do anything of ourselves. We have no strength. We have no grace. We have no wisdom from ourselves. We cannot believe. We cannot persevere without his help. We cannot understand the word. We must be, we are completely dependent upon Christ by the Holy Spirit to live within us and give us the grace and the help that we need. So we are utterly dependent upon the promise of Jesus here in verse 16 that he will be asking the Father for the Holy Spirit to be given to us, to lead us and guide us in all of our weakness and need in the Christian life. Second thing we can say from this passage is that Jesus wants us to enjoy this fellowship, to know and enjoy this fellowship with him. This is why he gives all of these promises of our fellowship with him and his presence with us by the Holy Spirit down through this passage. We see it in verse 16. He will ask the Father for another helper, even the Spirit of truth. At the end of verse 17, he will abide with you and will be in you. The end of verse 18, he says, I will come to you. The end of verse 19, I live, you shall also live. The end of verse 20, I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. And then the end of verse 21 and 23, at the end of verse 23, we will come to him and make our abode with him. The passage is filled with all of these promises 
of Christ coming to us in the presence of the Holy Spirit and dwelling in the midst of us. And that's what Jesus desires throughout this passage. For us to know and to enjoy this fellowship with him. But he has two requirements for us in the passage. The first is prayer back in verse 13 and 14. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What are we to ask for in this passage? We are to ask for the Holy Spirit to be given to us. We ask Jesus, the mediator, our great high priest. He asks the Father. The Father sends to us the Holy Spirit. So there must be the first requirement is prayer. The second requirement is obedience of life. And that's what Jesus repeats again and again in the passage. We see it in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says it again down in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then in the beginning of verse 23 again, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father and I will love him. So this is the requirement for us to know this comfort and to enjoy the blessing and the presence of Christ by the Holy Spirit, our life of obedience to his commandments. Jesus gives here in this passage these very sweet comforts for all believers that no matter what trouble we may experience in this life, we will never be orphans. He will come to us and dwell in us according to these promises. His love is so great for us. What he desires here in this passage is that we would know his presence and his blessing. The psalmist said of the written word, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. How much sweeter is the living word coming to dwell within us? And Jesus would not have us to lose a single drop of the sweetness of his presence. But he knows, he knows that disobedience on our part will hinder his comforts to us. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. And a grieved Holy Spirit will not come with the fullness of the promised blessings here. And we will be the losers for it. The promise of Jesus, the promises of Christ here throughout this passage are a great encouragement to our obedience. We notice the order in which he speaks in both verse 21 and verse 23. In both verses, he speaks first to our proving our love to him by keeping his commandments. And then... For those who walk in that way, he promises that the Father and he himself will love them and will come to them by the Holy Spirit. He is showing us the way of his blessing. And he will not leave his promise unfulfilled. Those who pray in this way, and those who live in this way of obedience, Christ will come to them and disclose himself more and more. And when we do, we will have a rich meeting with him, and we will know the refreshment of our souls. And whatever we may lose in pursuing him, it will be a light and easy thing when we meet him and have fellowship with him. If we have not known the presence of Christ, as we should, and if our hearts have grown cold and distant from him, as can happen, then Jesus gives us a place to look for the reason that we should examine ourselves 
and see if there is any way of disobedience in us. If there is anything in us, in our lives, that is contrary to his word, and then we should turn away from it so that we might enjoy the fullness of his fellowship and his promised blessings in this passage. I in you, the Father and I loving you and making our abode to be in you, and I myself will come and disclose myself to you. All these promises are ours, but we must walk in the way that Jesus prescribes for us here. We are not saying that we earn the Holy Spirit by our obedience, because the Holy Spirit is always a gift to us. As he says in verse 16, the Father will give you another helper. The Holy Spirit is always a gift by his grace, always a gift by grace. But obedience, obedience is the pathway of his blessing. And disobedience will hinder it. Which is what Jesus cautions us over here. So we close our time tonight with a final thought. And we want to see here how great the love of Christ for us is. John told us back in chapter 13 and verse 1 that this is the window by which we may view all that takes place in this supper. That having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And here in verse 16, there are things that are spoken of here for the first time in this upper room. This is the first time Jesus has mentioned asking anything from his heavenly Father. And this is the first time that he has mentioned the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus seems to speak here of the priority when he returns to his Father in heaven. And he is saying to us that the first thing I will do, and my great concern will be to make sure that you have the help, the comfort, the aid that you need. And when I return to my Father in heaven, this will be my first priority. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. The continuing love of Christ for us in heaven. He will always be mindful of us. We are his great concern. As soon as I arrive, I will make this request of my Father. I am departing from you, but when I go there and I see the Father, I will ask him for another helper to give you all the strength, the comfort, and the light that you need. We may imagine the scene in this way as Jesus has finished his great work and ascends back up into heaven. He has accomplished salvation. He is the great conqueror. He has triumphed over sin and death and the devil. And he ascends up into heaven. And as we read in Psalm 24, the angels cry out, open the gates of heaven. Christ enters into heaven and all of heaven rejoices to see his entrance. He comes back the great conqueror over all the enemies of God. God the Father is so well pleased with him, he says, sit down at my right hand in the highest place of glory. And the Father says to him, my beloved son, you have finished all the work that I have given you to do. You have glorified my name. You have upheld my law. You have vindicated my justice. You have established righteousness. You have demonstrated my love. You have saved a great multitude of sinners. I am so well pleased with you, my son. I will give you whatever you desire. What would you have me to do for you? And Jesus says to him, Oh, my father, my great love is still for my disciples. 
who are in the earth. They are weak and needy. They are exposed to so many trials, temptations, and dangers, and they are in need of comfort and aid and strength. I loved them when I came into the world. I loved them in my death upon the cross, and now I must still love them. I love them to the end. And my Father, I am absent from them now in body, but I desire to still be present with them in my spirit and to still give them strength and grace and wisdom. My Father, this is why one request above all others that you would send them another helper to take my place and to be with them forever. And the Father who always hears and answers the Son says to him, We have only one who can do this great work. We have only one who has strength, wisdom, and power to take your place on earth. Our dearest friend from all eternity, the Holy Spirit. But I will send him, says the Father, and he will carry on your great work of salvation and be with your people to the end. And this request continues ever-present by Jesus throughout all generations for all of his disciples to the end of the world, I will ask the Father, and I will always be asking him, and he will always be continually giving you another helper, that he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So this is Christ's heart for us in heaven, his love, his unchanging affection for us, his eternal care, even now that he is seated in glory. He has loved his own who were in the world, and he will love them to the end. Let's pray. Father and gracious God in heaven, Thank you for your mercy to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that he does at your right hand in his intercession, in his sending of the Holy Spirit to give us help and strength in every need that we have. We ask that you would bless your word to us this evening and use it for our good and increase our faith and strengthen us in the Christian life. Have mercy upon us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.